All content on this channel is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as professional financial advice. Should you need such advice, please consult a licensed financial or tax advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of information on this channel. Well, do you want to get started on the... Yeah, the let's get into it. Rock and roll, man. I'm excited. This is a good one. So we are talking today about a company called Coinbase, which direct listed um, today. the stock market today. Exactly. So we timed our uh, recording of this podcast very well, even though... Yeah, just, just like we drew no it up. Idea. We, we, knew, we knew when they would be listed. They didn't, <laughs> but we did. Yeah. And we, and we, we knew it like four knew. weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, how did Coinbase do today in terms of the IPO? Coinbase had a fun day, man. Uh, you know, they direct listed, I think they had prepped the market uh, with a reference price of 250, right? Which mm-hmm. per, per share, which gives them, you know, I think it was like a $65 billion valuation, which is, uh, you know, kind of insane, but okay. Um, and I, you had a feeling it was going to pop, right? Uh, from mm-hmm. the get go. So it opened, uh, at least to, to retail investors, at 381, right? Which is like 50% over the reference price. And then, you know, I'm, I'm watching it during the day, jumped up to like close to 430 a share. Wow. Which is just absolute madness. Yeah, uh, you know, like, I love it. I was like, yeah, I just, <laughs> when, when is this going to stop? And then surprisingly, it just it kind of cratered for the rest of the day, uh, just down, 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 down. Like I, I don't no know news. Exactly where it, it just started trading down. Like it just yeah. Started, it started I mean, trading down. that's part of the direct listing, right? There's no lockup. We talked about mm-hmm. this with Palantir, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is you you know it's it's the owners of the shares that that don't have a lockup and can sell off immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I imagine you know as soon as if I'm a, if I've been an employee of Coinbase for however long, right? And and this is my opportunity to cash out. Yeah. You start to see the stock go down, you get a little nervous, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know, could it go to 250? Could it go to 150, right? Like I gotta get, I gotta cash out. So you start to see people selling shares basically all day, starting at like right in the afternoon, right? So uh, right. I think it bottomed out around 310 and it settled for the day at 328. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's moving which, up in after hours trading too. Yeah, after hours has it at I think 340, close to 340. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I think I think there's probably a little bit of panic if you look at the chart for the day, where mm-hmm. just people are you know people are grabbing some money. Uh, and and to be fair, Coinbase, you saw they issued everybody um, a bunch of shares right before this listing. Did you see that? No, I didn't. You mean employees? Employees, yeah. They gave all their employees 100 shares, which is like amazing. Yeah, yeah that's um, nice. I mean, that, that's, a, that's an annual salary for like, you know, the lowest level employee to just be gifted it on the day before is pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think there's, you know, someone that really needs that money, uh, you know, you, you, you sell it because you don't, you don't, you're not playing the long game. You got bills to pay or whatever. And I think you see that in a sharp crash, not a crash, but a, sharp, a sharper dip like that over a day. So that's, that's probably what I think happened. It'll stabilize, and I think it'll probably go up over the rest of the week. Would be my guess. Right, and then you know, yeah. if at the price that it's trading in after hours, it would be around eighty-seven billion in market cap. So that's yeah. where it finished today's trading. And and um, what's crazy about that? It, just mm-hmm. uh, one more thing on the valuation. I mean, 
I, I, I saw this, you know, poking around. If you look at the market cap, right? What do you say? Was it 80, 85? Did you say? Yeah, like 80, 87, 88, something like so that. So at its core, like Coinbase is basically an exchange, right? And and its yeah. market cap, you, you got to compare. I mean, it's trading on the NASDAQ. NASDAQ's market cap is 26 billion. <laughs> and, and you know, ICE, a parent company for New York Stock Exchange, is 67 yeah. billion. Yeah. It's uh, worth go, a lot Goldman more Sachs, than... <laughs> Goldman yeah. Sachs, 111 billion. So, wow. like, you know, we're, we're, we're encroaching on like old guard you know, blue blood, nicest, you know, nicest trading firm on the planet right? Uh, on a first day of trading, which is, right. which is kind of nuts, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when you put it to those types of skills, it does like beg um, the question about whether or not, you know, this does represent, let's say a new world order. Um, and, you know, what happens to the old guard and like, what kind of future are we headed towards? Because that yeah. is what Coinbase is all about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good, good segue to just a little bit of context, right? This is the first like crypto company to be traded uh, that I know of uh, publicly, at least in yeah, a big way. Right. I so so. I, it's the first like real opportunity for the public, you know, to, to play around in crypto. So what is Coinbase? It, it's it's a platform you you trade cryptocurrency, right? And and they're they're in their S one, which by the way was a delightfully long read. I don't know if you went through the whole thing, but like most of uh, it, yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought it was I thought it was great. A little repetitive for a lot of it, but just lots of nuggets, and I'm sure we'll get to it. But you know, it's it's a platform. You can you can buy, you can hold, you can store money in there, you can trade. I think you can start to borrow now. Uh, so there there's some some products they're building into the platform, but basically. They're part of this new crypto economy. That's what they're saying. The new crypto economy is basically any blockchain supported digitization, tokenization, and, and trading of crypto assets. That's mm -hmm. that's really it. And that's where they're playing. That's it's a it's a new world order in your words, right? Uh, from from traditional old school banking. And it, it provides a lot of benefits over older institutional kind of um, you know financial models, right? This is more global, it's more accessible, it's uh, you know. I guess a more, at least theoretically, a more free, fair alternative to like traditional economy and banks and currencies, right? And right. that it's completely decentralized and nobody's running it, right? Like the US government decides to print more money that can drive inflation. You didn't have a say in that, right? Like that's, yeah. that's made by a small group. So this is a, a unique way to kind of get into this market. And, and as the first one to be traded, I think that kind of pop on day one where, you know, you're jumping up. 50% over a reference price that was already kind of nuts, right? The last valuation of this company was private, right? The last investment raised valued it at 8 billion. So you're talking yeah. about massive <laughs> it's growth. It's a massive growth, yeah. I, yeah. I think it's, it's, you know, if nothing else, it's an endorsement of this future crypto economy, which, mm -hmm. you know, everyone right now talking about NFTs and, you know, more digitization of all kinds of assets. Uh, you know, part of it's a fad. I, I think, Gil, you lent me a book once about uh, the tulip uh, market and crash and yeah. and what that meant in that moment. In a lot of ways, this feels like that. Um, and and it may be, by the way, in some of these, um, you know, like NFTs, for example, could could be more like tulips. But um, here, you know, the crypto economy as a whole is a, is a much bigger thing. And I think if you're if you're long on that and you're 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 positive on that, I think this is a good way to get in that market, uh, at least the only way to do that in a public market. Yeah. You know, when I was thinking uh, the, about Coinbase and reading through their statements and thinking about their business and, you know, trying to imagine what the future might look like for them, I, I found it very, very hard 
to make any sort of assessments in my mind about where Coinbase would be headed, um, unless I had an opinion on where I thought crypto would be headed. Like they are both connected to each other very, very uh, intimately. So, I mean, I think it might be useful for us to just take a step back first and talk about the larger context in which Coinbase operates. We said at the beginning of this that Coinbase is a marketplace for cryptocurrency. It might evolve into more than that in the future, but that's where its main source of revenue is. This is where people, most people like noobs to the cryptocurrency markets will just go to you know, exchange fiat for cryptocurrency. And the main ones are Bitcoin and Ethereum, but they yep. also support a whole bunch of other cryptocurrencies as well. And um, I think if you're going to end up, you know, forming any sort of credible opinion about where Coinbase is headed, you first have to have a well-informed opinion about where you think cryptocurrency is headed. So, um, I mean, I think you were actually earlier into cryptocurrency than I ever was. So I want to put the question out there, like what's your personal history with cryptocurrency and where do you personally believe it's going to be headed? I, uh, I I would love to take credit for being early and just so much smarter than everybody else. Honestly, you know, like it was interesting and new and, and I like to play around and stuff like that. It's the same reason I opened an account on NBA Top Shot. It sounds interesting <laughs> and I'll play around with it. I, I had no intention. I had no I had no expectation that it would be where it is today. It just sounded really interesting and I wanted to understand it better. So I bought some coins and, and now it's just makes my cost basis amazing for my returns on, on Bitcoin, but um, it just got me into it, right? How do I store it? I had to put it on my own key at the time because I couldn't buy it through Coinbase. So I had to, you know, figure that out, right? I, and all of a sudden I have to understand all kinds of weird stuff, right? Like you have an address, you have, uh, you know, a, a, you have a token that you, you, you know, you have a, a security token that you have to, um, you know, put on, put on your wallet, right? Or, 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 find a wallet where you can store this and keep your private keys, right? So you, mm -hmm. you just kind of start to get into terminology that, that I'd never heard before. So for me, it was for educational purposes, not because I had such foresight. So I, now, I'll take you, no credit there. But. Did you hear about it from friends? And what year? Yeah, did you, I, you know, I was, I, I, I first bought Bitcoin. Who? Um, let's see. Um, 2000 and... I don't know, Gil, when did you and I talk about it? That must have been in like 2009. I can't even remember when we first Yeah, so I probably started Bitcoin. buying it in 2008, I would guess, 2007, 2008. And then I, I bought some more across the way as I was playing around with it. So I've had it for a really long time. But again, my, my expectation was this is interesting and, and it's possible there's a way to transact more like more more universally with this like it was very niche when i started in it and it's obviously mm -hmm. become less niche i remember when like overstock.com was taking bitcoin payments and i was like holy shit that's a big deal right <laughs> yeah, yeah, and now you've got yeah. like <laughs> elon musk but, adding it to his twitter profile and driving the price up ridiculously so yeah 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 uh, yeah times yeah. have changed Il yeah. elon was responsible for that huge bitcoin pump earlier this year for sure. Yeah. And, and, and you then, can pay for Tesla's in Bitcoin, which is, yeah. you know, again, like which I'm thinking thing. about doing. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's for <laughs> how much Bitcoin for, do you have? <laughs> uh, a bunch, I would say like enough to buy a Tesla. 
<laughs> when did you first start buying? I, well, I, I may yeah. have been in first, but I don't think I had the yeah, same I think outlook if, that you did. If you were there during that time, you were there like fairly early. And um, the I don't even remember like hearing about Bitcoin, to be honest, like the first time I heard Bitcoin. It might have been gosh, like 2015 or 2016, that like my earliest memories um, of Bitcoin are still in my mind. And it was very niche and I never really spent a lot of time exploring it. I just knew that it was a cryptocurrency, but other than that, I like literally knew nothing else other than the name and the word cryptocurrency. And then just the general idea that it's money that you can send online. And I never investigated it further. I wasn't curious about it. And um, I, I immediately dismissed it as either a fad or a scam or a bubble. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't really just go further than that. And it didn't help that, you know, I uh, would hear people I respect greatly, like, you know, uh, Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger call it rat poison squared. <laughs> so so, so I, I, it was like, it was on me to make my own, do my own research, do my own diligence and be a little bit more curious. And at that time, I just didn't either just didn't think about it or completely missed it or just didn't, you know, feel like I had enough bandwidth, I guess, to go exploring down that avenue. I wish I did yeah. because, you know, Bitcoin's been on air since then. Yeah, I think um, maybe I was a little early. I, I'm looking at my like old, um, just like transfer history. I, I, I was probably closer to 2010 would be my guess okay. uh, that's when I started. Yeah, that's, that's still very early. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, but again, I mean, to, to your point, like with Buffett, right? Uh, yeah. Like I also, I am an acolyte, right? If, if he <laughs> says it's it's a waste of time, it probably is, right? Yeah. Um, my, my, only, my only hesitation there is it's such a unique idea and it evolved so rapidly. There's just no way, like you're either like um, massively in 100% and writing white papers about it, or you just don't care and it looks stupid on its face, right? Right, right. Like it, right. It's very it's, polarizing. It's polarizing, very, very yeah. polarizing like that, yeah. And then for me, I had dismissed it for a long time and um, never really did my own research and, and looked into it. And I think huh, that, means, that, that meant that I didn't really start looking in it, into it until 2020, which was last year. And... Um, I think a couple of things sparked my interest. Um, one, um, there, we, the, there was the coronavirus crisis and the resulting um, Fed actions that were taken to provide liquidity to the markets and basically save all our assets. And I don't fault the Fed for doing what they did. I think on balance, like if I were in the same position, I would have done the same thing. And um, But the, 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 the hardest part about it is that the you know we've just printed you know 25 percent more money in circulation in the past year like in the and that you know that that just has a finality the, the truth is that there's you know more money and uh i just thought that if there was anything that i wanted to do about it i would probably want to put a portion of my portfolio or a portion of my net worth um into some sort of thing that was an inflation hedge. Mm -hmm. Now, the traditional inflation hedge would be um, uh, an asset like gold or silver, right? Um, 
you know, some people might go with real estate or some people might go with like, I don't know, like owning lumber or, 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 or like even go to as crazy as like owning art or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those are traditional, like you, you could put like, you know, 10, 15% of your portfolio into an inflation hedge and that wouldn't be crazy. Um, I, you know, read something about, I had read Ray Dalio's, um, what is it called? All Seasons or like, yeah, a Four Seasons. I think it's called all seasons um, model of portfolio allocation, where um, roughly 10% was put into um, an inflation hedge, and the rest was kind of split up between stocks and and bonds in a particular ratio that made it hard for you to like, you know, uh, lose a lot of money every year. So it cut your vol that kind of portfolio allocation was back tested to have very low volatility while achieving nearly all of the um, uh, upside um, of just like a pure stock allocation, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I really like that Ray Dalio model, even if I don't follow it fully myself. And I was thinking in 2020 that I should probably start looking at inflation hedges. And uh, that got me started into looking more, more deeply into Bitcoin and just to starting to do the research finally after all these years, much later than, than, than when you first started playing around with it, right? Yeah. And um, I, I, I got like really deep into the rabbit hole. Like <laughs> I read, I read everything that I could about Bitcoin and I began to understand a lot of different things that, you know, I had glossed over or not really thought about. And, um, you know, like everybody who's kind of in the Bitcoin community would say, all right, well, it's very scarce in the sense that with the halvings of the output from the miners, at maximum, you'll only You'll, you'll only have 21 million Bitcoin. And a certain percentage of that is already lost anyway, just because people have just forgotten their keys. Um, so, you know, your max is probably going to be somewhere less than 21 million Bitcoin. And um, if it does really become some sort of like store of value, um, it's not hard to see Bitcoin reaching um, at the time that I was buying it, um, like a 1 trillion market capitalization. And then from there, you know, 10 trillion market capitalization and then beyond. Um, And I'm quoting those numbers because, you know, like for example, Apple itself is worth 2 trillion and um, the the value of all the gold um, in the the market, the market value of gold is 10 trillion. And um, Bitcoin is traditionally valued by people in the crypto community as a store of value that's very similar to, in an, and if you're using an analogous thinking way, very similar to um, digital gold, but with certain advantages of portability um, and transmissibility that make it more advantageous to actually hold Bitcoin versus gold. Um, so if you think of it as like gold plus, then it's not hard to like make the leap in your mind to thinking that it could one day be a $10 trillion asset, right? Right. And the, the, like, if you think, okay, well, it's a $10 trillion asset with 21 million maximum Bitcoin, um, then that price is at around 500,000 per Bitcoin. And at the time that, that I was looking to it in 2020, um, you know, it had hit a low of like 3,000 something in March because of the coronavirus liquidity crisis. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, it traded all the way up to like, I don't know, I think. 10,000 for a while, 9,000, 10,000 for a while, and then hit like 13,000 by the end of the year, something like that. Maybe a little higher by the end of the year. 
Um, but you know, I was just buying Bitcoin all throughout. Like I put um, roughly twenty percent of my net worth into into Bitcoin at that time because I felt like I would want to hit like that Ray Dalio style inflation hedge plus a little extra, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that that was where my head was at in terms of like my thinking about Bitcoin and crypto. Um, and I think when you look at the future, I mean, Bitcoin's trading at 60,000 right now. It's probably like with its momentum, it's probably not hard for it to get to $100,000 per, 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 I was going to say per share, but per Bitcoin, right? right? Like it's not completely crazy for me to say that kind of thing out loud. And the craziest like Bitcoin, like people who've been totally orange pilled into Bitcoin would say, oh, it's gonna, it's, it's not, it's, it's not hard for it to get to 500,000. And then after that, right. I'm not, I'm not even sure. Like, I think you would have to like, <laughs> you would have to like hyper Bitcoinize uh, the entire world in order for it to, you know, get past the $10 trillion like store of value style market right. cap that um, would mean that it would be a replacement for gold. Um, uh, you mean, you, and for that to happen would require, you know, um, Bitcoin to be more easily transactional, um, you know, which means that, you know, the lightning network would have to develop. And then also you would have to have a little bit more stabilization in the price because it's hard to transact in a, in an asset that whose price fluctuates greatly, right? So right now that that particular feature um, is good as a store of value because the price volatility, if you can stomach it, actually trends upwards very highly. So mm -hmm. volatility, what that most people are afraid of are, is actually your friend, right? Um, and uh, that's okay if you want to use it as a store of value, but it's not good if you want to use it as a, a, a transaction mechanism. Like you want to use it to buy Tesla, a Tesla car, right. um, because because now you're afraid. Like you know, you'll lock in the price one day, and the next day it goes up ten percent, and you wish you had waited a day later to lock in the price of the Tesla car. So uh, there's that issue there. But yeah. I mean, I, I think that you know, when you think about like where Bitcoin is headed, you have to form an opinion about Bitcoin first. Um, and maybe all of the cryptocurrency market right now, which is worth, let's say, two trillion. Um, and then Bitcoin is worth half of that at around one trillion right. market cap. Um, you it, Because the, the way Coinbase works is that they take transaction fees um, from every transaction and the transaction fee is partially related to the value of Bitcoin itself. Right. So um, as Bitcoin goes up, um, then the Coinbase revenue should go up. Um, right. And it's impossible to form any opinions about Coinbase unless you form an opinion about Bitcoin. Yeah. So, and just from the S1 too, by the way, the quote there, the entire business is basically, uh, I'll get you the quote, substantially dependent on the prices of crypto assets and volume of transactions conducted. Right. And then later, it's basically saying, you know, the majority of our net revenue is derived from transactions in Bitcoin and Ethereum. If demand for these crypto assets declines and is not replaced by new crypto asset demand, our business operating results and financial condition could be adversely affected. Right. right. I mean, it right. is it is tied in intrinsically uh, to to the underlying assets being traded. Right. Yeah. And the, the deeper question also is that. Um, you know, if you're an investor in Coinbase and you need to form an opinion about where cryptocurrency is headed in order to um, form, form an opinion about where Coinbase is headed, 
um, then when you form those two opinions in parallel, um, you, it might behoove you to actually compare those two uh, opinions. Because what if just purely buying Bitcoin itself or purely buying Ethereum itself provides a better prospect of return than buying Coinbase, right? Right. Like, that's another thing that you'd, another trade-off that you'd have to look at if you feel like competent enough to like make these kind of judgments on your own. Yeah, I think that's actually yeah. the best possible way to look at this is why would you buy Coinbase when you can buy Bitcoin? And, and vice versa, right? Why, why buy Bitcoin when you could buy Coinbase? I, I think to, to come back to Buffett, this is a classic toll booth investment. You're mm -hmm. taking money on transactions and they have the fattest margins. I've, I mean, compared to like their competitors are zero, right? They don't have to charge. They're charging nothing like a Robinhood. You, you make these trades for free on Coinbase. You're trading a half a percent per trade. And those can bubble up to like 4% if you're using credit cards or, or borrowed money. Uh, and, and it's nuts. I mean, and they're charging up to 3% withdrawal fees. So like, they're just making money regardless, right? I mean, yes, yeah. it's tied to the underlying value of, of the Bitcoin Ethereum and the volume, but at the end of the day, if you're worried about the 500 other altcoins popping up and, and maybe Bitcoin gets displaced by, you know, Litecoin in the future or whatever, uh, you know, you can have a send a more like de-risked play owning the toll booth rather than than the coins right so that that's one way to look at it the other is inherently if you think coinbase is going to do well you also like you said you have to believe bitcoin will do well yeah um and you so. may be better off holding bitcoin as just the currency even if it's just for one of the reasons you said maybe it's only for store of value you're not trying to transact with it right and in that case is it a better store of value than than owning shares of coinbase yeah, I think that's the hardest part to evaluate about this. Um, it is, it's the, the, the challenge with Bitcoin and, you know, a lot of detractors bring it up is that there's no way to actually, or, or it's very hard to conceptually think about how you should value a Bitcoin in the first place. Like there's no like reference price. There's no, um, there's no hard and fast numbers about like some sort of income that you could derive from Bitcoin. <laughs> There's no earnings in Bitcoin. Um, it's like a ledger entry in a database, a widely distributed database. That's all you have. That's what it, Bitcoin is. Yeah, but once once they de once they de moved off the gold standard with dollars, what do you really own with a U.S. dollar? You own a piece of paper. Yeah, right? technically, so you own the full faith and you know <laughs> taxation power of the U.S. government for whatever that's worth, right? Like, right. but that what is that? But an idea, and what is yeah, an exactly. entry? What is a journal entry in an electronic database? But an at idea. least it's transparent. That that's yeah. the difference. I think <laughs> yeah. I think with the U.S. government, you don't know what you know. It's it's subject to a million things. Here, it's all out in the open. I, every bit of the information is available. And the market is determining the price. I love yes. that. It is the yeah. ultimate free market versus it, it is true. It's very the US dollar, which, yeah, I mean, like, honestly, and even gold, this is why I'm not buying gold, right? And, and mm -hmm. you know, if you wanted to hedge against inflation, that's the classic hedge against inflation, buy gold, buy silver, uh, whatever. And, and yeah. don't get me wrong, I looked into that too. But, but to me, and my opinion has evolved over time. Like I got into play around many, many years ago. And then I've mm -hmm. continued to buy because I've seen utility in Bitcoin, both transactionally and as a store of value. 
Uh, there's there's transactions now you can only do with coins, which is which is really interesting, right? Like it's faster. It's it, it, like there's there's plenty and plenty of benefits. Um, and, and as you see those start to pop up, you, you start to see lots of potential in this kind of currency, aside from just <laughs> uh, black market buying drugs and guns, uh, yeah. which is, I think, yeah. where the origins of this are, which is why this might have taken a little while to get started. But now that it's a little more mainstream, it's moving more quickly. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think. I think you, you touched on something there that that is interesting to me, which is I, I think with Bitcoin, you can see what a future looks like when you know you're not using traditional fiat or or other types of currency and you're using everything digitally. Because it's not that hard to imagine a future like that, where like all payments, you know, I already use my phone to pay. I don't actually use hard paper almost ever. I stopped carrying my wallet around a couple of years ago. Once Apple Pay and everything else, mm -hmm. I just carry my phone. So like, it's not that hard to think of money as just a digital token that's moving around, right? As yeah. long as it's as long as it's safe and secure, and all of course the stuff you need it to be. Um, and that that was a big shift. So I don't think that's so hard. What's a little harder for me, and, and this is what came up as I'm trying to evaluate Coinbase. What type of innovation is there for Coinbase, right? Like. I can see a future where Bitcoin is kind of ubiquitous, right? Or, or at least cryptocurrency, the crypto economy is realized, whatever that means. I, I can envision that. It's not impossible. I don't see, I'm having a harder time imagining the tentacles from Coinbase to make that, you know, such a, such a powerhouse player, right? I, I think mm -hmm. it's, it has a lot of benefits as like, it's the easiest platform to use for crypto. Yes, if you're, if is. you're new, if you're new to crypto, you'd be it, you'd you'd have a, a steep learning curve to use pretty much anything else yep. so it is the easiest to use it is you know definitely the most user friendly it is probably the safest it's been gone the longest without any hack as i think that was in their s1 too i have to find that quote but yeah no um, they, they did say that it's the yeah, longest I think, running company without a hack uh, without yeah. without losing c consumer funds yeah correct and that, that's a that's a big deal like don't don't that that builds into the brand right i think they're differentiators as they listed them, you know, trust, they're the longest running right without losing funds and their brand. It's easy to use. It's the first on-ramp for customers. Um, other than that though, right? Like what are they really able to do? They're, they keep, they, they talk in the S1 about this flywheel, right? Did you read this? I did see the flywheel. Yeah. So I, People I love, love flywheels. I love since, flywheels, right? Ever since yeah. Jeff Bezos <laughs> showed it in Amazon, everybody's been using a flywheel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, it is this, this S1 is buzzworded to hell, but the powerful flywheel, right? And, and for that, they mean um, they draw, so they have three kinds of customers, essentially retail users, institutions, and partners. So what they're saying is their ecosystem um, creates a, a flywheel where retail users and institutions store assets and drive liquidity, enabling us to expand the depth and breadth of crypto assets that we offer and launch new innovative products and services that attract new customers, right? That right. sounds wonderful, but like what, <laughs> what new innovative products have they launched? What services are they launching? As far as I can tell, they have the worst, frankly, they have non-existent customer service, right? Right. They have invested a ton in cybersecurity. So maintaining that brand and that image is important. But like, what do you see, you know, five years down the road in an optimal scenario for Coinbase that's much different than what it is today? See, I mean, I think their answer for that would be that, yes, you're right that that is an issue. Um, and I, I can attest to that from personal experience because I'm a Coinbase user. I bought all my Bitcoins and Ethereum through, through Coinbase last year. And um, 
I was drawn to them. Like they were like this black hole that, you know, was pulling me with its gravity as like the place that I would go to to do my transactions as a complete noob in the uh, cryptocurrency sphere, right? Because they're the most well-known. There's the one that like the most people have used. They're the one where I feel like I, I, I would have the least um, issues with getting hacked or making a mistake or sending my coins to some sort of like digital either world that I, I'll never get them back from, like, which would be horrible, right? Yeah. Um, and so like, I would just go to that. And I think like as, as, as crypto ramps and more and more new people come in, I think Coinbase does have a pole position in terms of, you know, being the first place where people go to to buy um, crypto. And your situation, your, your, your criticism, I think, is, which is very valid, is that, you know, after that honeymoon phase where you've got a new crypto user who is um, very interested in acquiring coins, has gone through the process of acquiring their coins, what will they, like, how, well, what will they do next, right? And the, the, in my experience, the, the challenge is that many people, um, especially in the cryptocurrency community, um, tend to be of the mindset that if, and I'm quoting their phrase, if it's not your keys, then it's not your coins. Meaning that any cr cryptocurrency that you hold on an exchange like Coinbase, Coinbase actually owns the key. Like you don't know what the key is that controls right. that Bitcoin. And Bitcoin being a bearer asset means that whoever controls the key controls the ability to spend that Bitcoin. Now, of course, Coinbase is never going to go out and spend a user's Bitcoin, right? But, you know, certain regulations or the federal government or a lawsuit or something like that could potentially maybe in the future mean that Coinbase can't release to you the coins that they you actually own because they're not allowed to, right? And for the libertarian type, like I hate government style mindset that actually like a lot of crypto, early cryptocurrency users have, that is like the worst possible thing that could ever happen to them, right? So they need to fully control their coin, which means that they need to own the keys to the coin and which means that they're going to send uh, their cryptocurrency off of the um, Coinbase exchange and you know store it on a cold a cold storage wallet like a Ledger X or a Ledger S or a, or a Trezor mm -hmm. or one of those or a cold card or something like that, right? Um, and uh, they'll leave maybe a token amount in their you know their crypto uh, wallet their online wallet exchange at Coinbase, but for a lot of them, the bulk will be moved off. The bulk of their cryptocurrency will be moved off of moved off of that exchange. And you know, Coinbase makes money off of transactions, buys and sells. So you know, for the bulk of these people who are new users, they're not going to actually be buying and selling every month. And the only people who actually are buying and selling every month would be the hardcore traders who are trying to like make money on the volatility of cryptocurrency, right? Trying to buy low, trying to sell high. And they're mm -hmm. making all of these trades. And, you know, separately, what Coinbase is trying to do in order to prevent these, in order to get more revenue out of users, is they're trying to develop more products that are more, not like one-time transaction fees, like the way they've they, the, most of their money comes from, but actually more like subscription style, um, ongoing recurring revenue uh, type models. Um, and 
uh, one of them is that the there are certain cryptocurrencies, not Bitcoin or Ethereum, but um, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking like um, uh, uh, like uh, I can't remember what what its name is, but there's like Tezos, I think, um, where you if you own Tezos and you 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 keep it on Coinbase, there's something called like a stake or an earn. And you basically earn like 4% on the notional amount of this cryptocurrency um, that you keep right. in Coinbase. And um, Coinbase, it's, what's interesting is that Coinbase gets a fee for, um, it gets a cut out of the revenue that you, you receive as a user by staking um, or earning on your Tezos cryptocurrency. So, and that's periodic and recurring. And so uh, uh, Coinbase, is trying to you know grow those sources of revenue. What that amount would be right now would be minuscule. Like that that type of revenue is very, probably very very vanishingly small uh, percentage of what Coinbase's actual revenue is right now, which is mostly you know transaction based revenue. But that's where if you wanted to bet on them having recurring revenue, you would have to have a vision of that type of um, uh, type right. of. Um, revenue stream as to be growing and more powerful over time than what it is right right now and it would have to be like several orders of magnitude bigger than what it is right now honestly so, i don't even think it's going to offset the margin compression that they're going to eat over the next five to ten years they can't charge the margin they're charging when competition eventually with a similar brand or you know call it goldman sachs backed you know uh wallet or whatever you want to call it yeah, that doesn't yeah. need to charge such a hefty fee per trade and and for withdrawals. I mean, that that, that those margins will go down. I don't even think that's going to be offset by the new quote unquote products and offerings that they're going to create. Yeah, at least not that I can see. The long term pressure for Coinbase is that the being an, a marketplace for cryptocurrency is not that different from a brokerage like a TD Ameritrade or. A Charles Schwab, for example, that sells mm -hmm. stocks to individual investors. Um, there's scale matters, of course, right? You can't just be a tiny mom and pop brokerage shop. I mean, I guess you can be, but it's very hard. Um, and so maybe there's room in the marketplace for three or four fairly large um, brokerages. But by brokerage, I really mean marketplace places or exchanges. And you can kind of see the ecosystem starting to form right now. There's Coinbase, which is for noobs. And then, you know, I hear on the edges, there's like um, exchanges like um, Binance. And there's also other ones like Kraken. Um, yeah, and Kraken. On, if you switch over to like the super noob type stuff, like you can technically buy cryptocurrency on Robinhood, or you could technically buy it on PayPal. And you could also buy it on Square. And I say technically for PayPal and Robinhood because I don't actually know how those ones work. Like you're not actually allowed to send the cryptocurrency off of your account um, from Robinhood, which means that, like, are, are you like I, I question, are you actually even really buying cryptocurrency <laughs> or are you buying like some sort of stake? And how would synthetic... you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you can't send the coin, do you even have the coin? Or do you have some sort of floating number in your Robinhood yeah. account? Like that it's, makes it, me really suspicious. If and... a digital tree falls, yeah. 
<laughs> if you if you if you've bought the shadow of a ghost, like, what do you really exactly? Have? <laughs> yeah. um, but at least on Square, I know that you know whatever cryptocurrency you've bought from them at their like at their terrible order execution price and also at their like slightly higher fees. Okay, you know, putting those aside, you can actually like send the cryptocurrency that you own on Square um, outside of the uh, the app, and you know, like technically own the keys to your coins, you know, just send mm -hmm. your own wallet. So that's a little bit more legit. And um, so so uh, I think about it and I ask, is it possible for Coinbase to have a very strongly protected moat where nobody else can come in and compete? And the answer is, I think, no, there's going to be a lot of competition. It might be that right. a bunch of people are, are late to the party. So like Goldman Sachs spent years pretending that cryptocurrency is a is a scam and doesn't exist. Or JP Morgan spent years denying cryptocurrency actually exists or calls it a scam. And then years later, they're finally going like, ah, maybe we'll go into cryptocurrency. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they talk about so, this a little in the S1, right? I mean, they have a section of risks and they say, you know, we compete against unregulated companies and companies with greater financial and other resources uh, than, than they have, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And a growing number of decentralized and non-custodial platforms. Now that I had to look into um, deeper in the S1, right? So they say we compete, blah, blah, blah. Uh, decentralized and non-custodial platforms. On these platforms, users can interact directly with a market-making smart contract or an on-chain trading mechanism to exchange one type of crypto for another without any centralized intermediary. Yeah. So they're basically like saying you don't even contracts. need you don't even need Coinbase. You don't need an exchange. Yeah. Which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, for those and, types of smart swap contracts, it's done yeah. on the blockchain and you swap a crypto for another crypto and it's done is, in a trustless way. Yeah. But isn't that the optimal use here? Which is kind of funny because like yeah. these guys yeah. are dependent on this open and free uh you know a free economy this way but they they need to be centralized otherwise yes. the business is disintermediated yeah. it's kind of fucked up yeah also okay, there's, there's one more quote i have to show yeah. you here too so yeah. right so these platforms are typically not as easy to use as our as our platform mm -hmm. so this is their their tepid defense of where they are right which yes. scared the shit out of me when i read it these platforms are not as easy to use as ours okay big deal that's so easy to overcome and generally lack the speed and liquidity of centralized platforms but Various innovative models and incentives have been designed to bridge that gap, <laughs> right? It's like, uh, what? Like, yeah, what did you just that's say? really and they're hard talking about, to And they're talking about yeah. the, the significant number of decentralized platforms, including, right, on Ethereum, Tron, Polkadot, Solana, right, and, and all mm -hmm. this other stuff. Um, you know, th there's a deep sentence here. We have seen increased interest in certain decentralized platforms with transaction volumes rivaling our own platform on multiple occasions. And expect interest in decentralized and non-custodial platforms to grow further as the industry develops. I mean, that is basically them predicting their own death, no? Yeah, it's it's challenging to think about what the future would look like. There's the 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 for example, like you're you're mentioning the development of Ethereum smart contracts and the ability for you know users to overcome maybe the difficult technical challenges of operating those types of things. Um, I think that th that brings up a couple of points in here. So the first is um, the if if like if I had to make an analogy, crypto right now is I think very likely 
to change the world in the following decade or two decades. So I think if we're in 2020-ish right now, 2040 is going to look very, very different because of crypto. I think it's very similar to the potential impact that the internet had, like, like the represented to the world in 1990. And two decades later, by 2010, the world was beginning to look like, like what was vastly different from the way 1990 was. And it was because of the internet. And 2020s, like even more, I think, continues that kind of rate of change from 2010. And so the internet continues to transform the world. And I think we're like my, my, my gut feeling on crypto is that it is like roughly around like the year 1995 for, for the internet. But so how do you see that? The talk, talk, show me your future, Gil. What do you but, see? But, but I mean, the challenge is that in 1995, nobody knew what the fuck was going on with the internet, right? Like, like you know, I remember watching this um, Good Morning America. You sent it to me. Uh, it's hysterical. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 this, this clip of Good Morning America anchors talking about the internet in 1995. And then the guy was like, it's a scam or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> and then the other one is like, the internet, it's for nerds. Who would ever <laughs> want to use the internet? And then this is 1995. We look at it now in 2020. Ironically, watching it over the internet on YouTube, <laughs> through the power yeah. of YouTube. Um, and <clears throat> um, just laughing at them. And, um, but, you know, standing in 1995, it's ridiculous to, to look out at the future and really think about the impact of the internet. And then also the part, the struggle with the internet back then was that I think it was very hard to use for the vast majority of, of people. It was like too technically difficult to get onto the internet. And um, the way that people democratized the internet was first with like dial up AOL with that, like, you know, the signature buzzing sound that you were using to like hook into telephone line modems and then get onto the internet that way with like 56 kilobits of like transmission speed of data. It, it took so long to download porn. <laughs> just, just hours and hours of high risk behavior in like my parents' living room, you know, very dangerous, very damn worth it, but very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like pixelated blocks, right? Yeah, so like, and, and still working. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, and, and so you needed to democratize, democratize access to the internet by making it like dead simple to go there. Um, and, you know, I think Coinbase is trying to make that simple. And like, I would actually say the simplest version is Cash App. I really like how easy it is to buy crypto on Cash App. Like, I don't even have to have money on Cash App. I just say, you know, pull it from my bank account and buy me $10 of Bitcoin. And then there, it's done, right? Yeah. But in Coinbase, I have to do a lot more clicking. And then I have to, like, actually know what my address looks like if I want to send it off off of the, the marketplace. And then there's, you know, there's a hardware wallet issue. And then it's a little bit more complicated. I got to think more about more things if I'm going to transact in Coinbase versus, like, on Cash App, let's say. But I, I have I have found it very easy for what it's worth to transact through Coinbase. It's 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 expensive, but I don't think it's particularly not a big barrier there. Okay, so I mean they are democratizing that, and it needs to be democratized so that more people would um, adopt it because you need like a large user base to be easily on the internet. 
Uh, but of course, but where is AOL today, Gilmore? But where is AOL today? And then exactly. also, you know, back then, let's say that even if you were on the internet, like there weren't even a lot of websites, like not a lot of people were making blogs. There were not a lot, there's definitely no YouTube in the early 2000s or the late 1990s. Um, and like, what was there? There's like static text pages with very few pictures. I'm not even really sure. I have big, big memories of like what was going on. Um, GeoCities. Yeah, GeoCities. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there wasn't, to be honest, like there was stuff to do, but there wasn't like a whole lot of stuff to do. Like you could see the potential there, but it wasn't like a, you couldn't do, you couldn't run everything in your life or most things in your life, like the way you could do with the internet today. Um, so a lot of, um, I would say, infrastructure and advancements needed to be built out before the internet could transform into like what it is in the 2020s. And um, even like there were many things that we take for granted today in the internet that were like impossible in 1995 or in 1999, like YouTube, for example, that requires mm -hmm. like high-speed bandwidth, like to be uh, available to a lot of people, like enough for it to like be worthwhile, right? And also even like the content creation part of YouTube where, where you, you know, have like, you know, good cameras and the ability to upload into the YouTube website and all that editing stuff like that, like required a hardware development to enable a vast majority of like, uh, or a lot of creators to be possible in the first place. In addition to like cheap storage, in addition to like high bandwidth, you needed to have a lot of develop enabling infrastructure to make YouTube possible. And don't even talk about Amazon, right? They had to like build distribution centers all across the US to have a distribution center within like 90, 30 to 90 minutes at the very first iteration of this thing um, of every major geographical city in the United States. And then they also had to convince people that it's okay to buy stuff over the internet and have it shipped to your address, which right. at the time people were like, oh, I'd never do that. I never put my credit card online, you know? Meanwhile, like now, like literally 150 websites or more have my credit card information. I'm okay, I'm okay with <laughs> and, it. And, and, and saved and saved and stored yeah, on there. Saved and stored, like to be used at any time they want. And I'm okay with it. I just check in and every it's, month. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so we are probably like in 1995 in cryptocurrency, like you can buy cryptocurrency and you can make money off of it. Right. Because it I think that value. I, I'm going to argue with you. I, I, I get what you're saying. And I think just like in 95, it would be hard to predict the future ramifications and applications of the Internet. I think this is different. This is at its core. It's a financial product. Right. Yes. Or, or, and, and that has existed for a really long time. And, and I think permutations of financial products have existed forever, right? And, and you look at the really complicated stuff with, with a Goldman Sachs or whatever, um, where they've had every kind of instrument and derivative you can possibly come up with. There, you, can, you can institute a lot of those ideas into a Coinbase, right? And, and it, it doesn't mean that there's something like the internet is so far reaching and broad. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, you can't possibly envision everything that that's going to happen uh downstream of that but I, this is different this you probably can envision it all you can't necessarily translate it or transcribe it from old school financial systems to this new crypto economy but that doesn't mean that it's infinitely uh you know infinitely um 
whatever, uh, innovatable, whatever the word would be. It doesn't mean that there's, there's yet undiscovered financial derivatives you can create with, with digital assets. I think NFTs are probably the most uh, interesting one. It's not, again, nothing yeah. unique there about you know, creating a digital asset and, and tokenizing it and, and making it a one of one and selling the rights to that. I do think that market is is a little house of cards e where where you know I don't know why you care to have the one of one you know first diet coke commercial on on uh, ESPN 3s website and why that's worth fifty thousand dollars or whatever it is but um, I, I, I there there might be some stuff and I'm not saying you can know everything but I'm saying this is a the the coin the crypto economy is still an economy. And economies have existed and 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 evolved over time since the beginning of time, right? So there's not an infinite variety of future outcomes here. I think you can probably predict the main sources of, of driving new revenue. Maybe there will be some new ways to transact or or exchange or tokenize or smart contracts, stuff like that. But to me, that doesn't create opportunity for Coinbase. That creates risk for Coinbase. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the smart contracts, for sure. Yeah. I mean, any of this stuff, any any massively new innovation that we couldn't envision at this point, if it's so unique and different that it that it's hard for us to picture right now, that's a new market for someone. And and yes, Coinbase has first mover and, and they do have a lot of liquidity and, and volume on the platform and they have a ton of advantages. And again, the brand and security are really critical for something like this. But that doesn't mean they can't be out innovated uh, in, a, in, a, in a rapidly emerging and evolving space. It, to be honest, everything like that would be a further risk to Coinbase. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I see it a little differently uh, than the internet in 1995. And, and actually, while you were talking on that about that, I, 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 it actually made me really bullish on Ethereum on a side note. Um, because, right, because uh, that's hedged. Yeah, yeah. because, um, you know, like conceptually, I view Bitcoin as money. Right, like it's store of value, and maybe as it develops, it would actually be like easily spendable money, and that will require some sort of infrastructure changes. So it's a long way off for it to get to that level where it's actual money um, that you can spend very easily. But for now, it, I, I don't have any problems with it as a store of value. It's been great. <laughs> it's been a great store of value. You know, I, I don't mean to be called store of value. I would call it exponential value. But. Um, uh, you know, when I think about like, okay, is crypto about money? Maybe because Bitcoin has been about money. Um, yes. But, you know, when we're talking about something like Ethereum, like, and you ask, is Ethereum money? And I would go, actually, like, I mean, it's valuable as in it's like worth $2,000 per Ethereum, but it doesn't even feel like money. It is basically... Um, like a, a blockchain, so it's a distributed ledger. Um, but the ledger itself is not just a static entry of information. It can take actions and then create smart contracts, right? right? And as you were talking about the risk to Coinbase with that, I was thinking like if there's anywhere where like you, if the analogy where the um, you know the crypto the currency economy is like if the analogy is that the cryptocurrency economy is like the internet in 1995. And then you were thinking about like where the internet in 1995 was going to end up developing um, and the applications, the like, profound transformative applications it could have. Um, Bitcoin is gonna be one thing about money, 
you know, that's likely going to be about money. Um, and then Ethereum is going to be about like, you know, transforming the world in a trustless decentralized way with the smart contracts. And it has a lot of like funky little applications. Like you mentioned NFTs, which are a fad, right? But like, like even the, 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 the fact that it can enable such a thing um, is very, very interesting to me. Even if like all of the NFTs right now just like burn and crash and then are worth zero. Um, what's your stake while we're on the topic? What's, what's your take on NFTs? I, I don't know, are you? Are you... I, I think there, that there's a bunch of it that's like, seems bubblish. Like there's a bunch of NFTs where huh, it's just like these pixelated characters. And then like some of them are super rare. And then it's like worth a million dollars. And I'm like, ah, I don't really think it's worth a million dollars. I can, I'll pass on that, right? So, but people have paid that much money for it. And I'm like, okay, I guess if you do you. But so that, that like that part feels bubblish. But like some other things like, you know, the idea that you could take tweets and um, tokenize them so that it's one of one. It's like the original, like verified, mm -hmm. only like the only one, the, like the, the original, the only one of its kind on that a famous tweet, right? Like I can imagine someone paying money, like real money to own like a tweet that's important to them. Like an example for me would be because I've been following Tesla for a long time. Um, Elon Musk's like funding secured tweet, right? hilarious mm -hmm. right yeah like i'm taking tesla private at 420 that like that at least <laughs> so many so many memes subsequently that like if that tweet were tokenized i would want to own a piece of it okay yeah. like I, I would love to have that that uh it would probably cost a lot to, to, to do it too but i mean think about how much like value is created when something that is currently worthless and free which is like looking at a tweet, like I literally look at that tweet anytime I want, right? By searching for it on the Twitter search function. Uh, something that's free is suddenly now becoming valuable. Like I could still, even once I, once that, that, that tweet like that becomes tokenized and creates value out of thin air, because now you own the original source of that tweet, right? Um, you know, people could still look at copies of that tweet just like the way the Mona Lisa is really mm -hmm. one of its kind and people could still look at copies of the Mona Lisa and then it does not diminish the value of the Mona Lisa. In fact, I think the more people look at copies of the Mona Lisa, the more that the original Mona Lisa becomes like more valuable, right? Like sometimes the fame in itself is what creates value or, or perceived right. value. And the ability for Ethereum contracts and the uh, to, 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 to create like unique rare assets um, out, out of like thin air is basically, I think, increasing the wealth of the world. And what is technology except for a mechanism to increase the wealth of the world? Um, the internet has certainly increased the wealth of the world in fantastic ways, um, in addition to like saving lives or whatever. So like, I think it, the crypto, like besides its transformative uses in money, um, I, I actually, I think could represent like a, a very um, important change in the way we do things on the internet um, in the future. I mean, I may be completely wrong, but like, I feel like we're at the early stages and the infrastructure does need to be built, but there will come a time where important companies will come out of this space, like really hugely important companies. The challenge is the, today is like, do we think that Coinbase is one of those important companies, right? Um, and, or, or is it more analogous to like the way Netscape was, 
back in 1999. I can't forget when that, I can't remember when Netscape IPO'd, but you know, Netscape is a browser. And um, what we valued back then when it IPO'd and became super valuable was that I think Netscape made it easier for users to search through the internet with a superior graphical user interface and a browser. <laughs> Nowadays, like I kind of laugh a little bit about that value proposition because like browsers, I've never paid for a browser. I don't think I ever will pay for a browser, right? Like, well, got, you've never paid for search either. Look at Google. <laughs> yeah, I've never paid for search. I mean, but that is monetizable via via advertising, right? So I actually have paid for search using my just not just not directly. Yeah, just not financially. Yeah, and um, but like like downloading a browser, like everybody's expectations today is that it should be free, and um, the you know, but that back then there was like so much potential for what Netscape was going to be. And it's a lot of its value proposition was that a lot of people had used it and downloaded it. There was a lot of adoption um, and that it was going to be like the window through which you could view the internet, um, like the software through which you could view the internet. And Coinbase is in an analogous situation where it is democratizing partially the um, ability for people to enter the cryptocurrency market by having like just a fresh user interface that's very easy to use. Um, that's kind of like smooths over a lot of like the difficult technical aspects of owning cryptocurrency. And then um, like we're doing it in a very trusted sort of way where, um, you know, it, you, people feel safe from hacking and stuff like that or making mistakes with their own money and that kind of thing. So, uh, and I think you're hinting at it, which is that like, is that defensible? Um, can competitors replicate that? And I, 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 and what is the ultimate margin compression uh, for for Coinbase if more competitors come on? Mm. Um, and, I, and I feel very uncertain about that. I, I do not think that there's any sort of inherent inherent blocking potential for Coinbase. I know it's the biggest, like it's got scale. It's like probably you know, trading 11% of the cryptocurrency market right now. But despite mm -hmm. its scale, it's only eleven percent of the cryptocurrency market, right? Like a yeah. dominant, a dominant marketplace would be like fifty percent or more in my mind. But now it's just eleven percent. So where the hell is the other ninety percent of the trading going on? Right. <laughs> so, so um, uh, that's where it is now. And then, if you want it to be, if you think it's going to be dominant, it's got to grow market share from where it is today to some sort of higher proportion. Right. while fending off potential competitors who are trying to also sell cryptocurrency. And yeah, I mean, my, you're, you're, I think we're getting to the conclusion, which is, is there a moat for this business? And, and what would it have to look like to have a moat? And I, I don't, I honestly, like, I don't think they have one at all right now. The only moat they have is time because their first mover and their brand is incredible because they haven't had a breach. And they haven't had any kind of you know attack, yeah. right? The biggest, yeah. the biggest risk to the business is that somebody you know gets the the keys to the to the coins. Yeah, you, I mean, you don't own them. You're right. Like yeah. the law, you can lose your key, or they could get destroyed. If somebody just a, a total nihilist wants to break into Coinbase and destroy the private keys, the, the business is done. 
Yeah. Right. That's and true. It's, it's ir- and it's true. irreversible because yeah. it's, 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 it's on the blockchain. So it's, it's, you can't like, yes, you know, they can invest infinitely in security. It reminds me a little bit when we talked about Roblox, like you're destined to have some pedophile get on that platform and do something terrible. Like it, it, no matter what you do. So like yeah. there will be something here. I, I don't know what it is, no matter how much you throw at this, it's probably not going to be something like, you know, 10,000 users have their keys destroyed. Like it's probably not going to be that, but it'll be something. It'll be, you know, like, like look at Robinhood, right? They, they got in a huge fiasco because of their, their Citadel connections. And, and also mm-hmm. Coinbase has all these financial institutions they're tied to. They have right. a lot of the same, you know, handcuffs on their ability to do stuff. So, you know, I, I think we're getting to the crux of, you know, how you value the business here, which is, is there something, is there a real differentiator here? And is there a moat around the business? And, and if not, what, what makes them appealing uh, as a long-term investment, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm looking at it today. I don't see a moat. Uh, and I, if I look at their differentiators, it's really only that trust and brand. I don't am first mover really. Like I don't see anything unique about the platform, the technology. I'm sure there is stuff under the hood. Like I'm not a developer. I can't, you know, the speed of transaction might, might be, you know, uh, you know, milliseconds faster in certain ways or smoother transactions. I haven't played around with every transaction method, right? I did through the Square app. I thought it was pretty seamless. I did try to play around on PayPal. It wasn't easy for me uh, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I played around on BlockFi. I played around on, um, what was the other one I looked at? Binance. Uh, just just seeing how these other platforms are designed and how they work. They're all copycatting uh, Coinbase in colors and scheme and, and click, you know, the, the journey, the customer journey is very similar. It's not that hard, right? It's not yeah. that hard. And, and, and that scares the crap out of me because if you are looking five years down the road, you know, the difference between uh, the Netscape of 95 and the Google of whatever of the internet is, you know, what you do with a, with, with a competitive advantage. If you have critical mass, if you become a verb, right? Like I'm going to Coinbase you, right? Like that's a different <laughs> world. I yeah, think now yeah. you're talking about crypto, which yeah. again, like just buy Bitcoins. Why wouldn't you buy more Bitcoin instead of buying Coinbase? If you wanted the, right? It's, that, that became the crux of this for me. I got down to it. You know, I'm finishing up the S1. I'm looking at all the risks. To your point, and now that I said it out loud, I'm hearing you kind of echo it. Ethereum is is just great, and I've been buying that too. I've had that for a long time. Also, I should probably buy some more um, because it's it's also protecting you against the outside, you know, the, the off brand trading where you know Bitcoin could struggle, and frankly, and, and Ethereum would not. Mm-hmm. I also think there's more business applications for Ethereum than there are for yeah. Bitcoin. I think it's, you can create. Yeah. I mean, my my colleague uh, at work who runs our industrial like IoT practice says it's all bullshit and there's nothing actually going on with Ethereum in the industrial space. But that doesn't for mean now. Won't be. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. That doesn't mean there won't be. Exponential growth is sometimes very uh, misleading. Yeah, because it looks yeah, like exactly. it's doing nothing for a long time, for sure. And as yeah. soon as there's one good application, somebody figures something smart out, right? A chemo- petrochemical company figures out a way to build a smart contract that delivers upon receipt and something, and it's built into the transportation network. And oh my God, they just shaved off 7% of their operating costs to move materials. Like, okay, that makes a ton of sense. Like right. every company is gonna start doing that because it's not proprietary technology to the vendor. This would be just using Ethereum to do a certain transactional uh, contract. 
So yeah. I, I don't think the fact that it's not used now or haven't, hasn't had significant adoption doesn't mean it won't in the future. So I, I still love Ethereum for a variety of reasons. And I like Bitcoin for a variety of reasons, mostly, again, hedge inflation and store of value. But um, back to Coinbase, I, I just, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, there's nothing there that tells me that it's not replicatable or, or that, they, that they can defend themselves against risks and, and, or competition. And they wrote it in their own S1. Like they're, they're also seeing it and volume, you know, rivaling theirs like already, which is really scary. Yeah. And, you know, when I look at the stuff that they're trying to build, right, because, you know, their, their business plan is you, they recognize the issue that there's like one time um, fees for uh, buying or selling crypto. And that's what most of their business is built on. And so they recognize it's a problem. They're saying, trying to say, okay, we're trying to de develop all these other products so that people keep their, their, their crypto on our mm -hmm. uh, exchange and that they can like do stuff with it, right? And one of them would be, um, one of the products that they're trying to build is the ability to borrow money um, collateralized by your crypto um, right. and also to lend your crypto um, to somebody else. Uh, and, and- That's what BlockFi does, right? And yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Uh, I look at that and I'm like, they're talking about building it, but I know for certain that other places have already built something like that. So, right. And they're actually, but here's the thing that party. Right. So here's the thing though. Wouldn't you rather, um, as a Coinbase user, wouldn't you rather do that, you know, do that lending within Coinbase than have to move your money over to BlockFi? But e even know, if Coinbase I, develops it later, my, my preference would be slightly to keep it on Coinbase because it's one less step. But you know what this is all going to be dependent on? The yield. So mm -hmm. if um, Coinbase offers um, you know, a 5% yield on Bitcoin um, and BlockFi offers me a 6.5% yield on Bitcoin, I'm, I think I'd be willing to go with the 6.5%, you know, yeah. especially if I have a meaning amount of, meaningful amount of Bitcoin where you know, the difference between those two is like $1,000 extra of revenue per month for me by holding it like in one thing mm -hmm. or another. Um, I'd, be, I'd move with that stuff right quick. Like I don't have right. any to Coinbase. <laughs> so but that's the thing. So, the, yeah. and that's, but that is where the brand and the trust does come into play. There is, there is some inflection point there where the extra, you know, half a percent isn't worth the risk of moving the money to BlockFi because they've only been around for six months, right? Yes, like that's true. There that's is, true. There, there's something there. They, it's not that Coinbase has nothing of value. They've built something very valuable. I just don't know if it's like, long-term valuable right yeah. it's very valuable right now but you're the, the 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 market cap and the valuation of this company is kind of insane you're projecting them to be the behemoth of the crypto economy fueling the crypto economy they're going to be you know uh the the all of the stock exchanges rolled up to one for for crypto and and yeah. i just don't see that i don't see that happening i mean i think what you would have to hope is two things um, one, the crypto economy is like vastly larger in the future than what you think it is today. And there's some argument for that. Right now, there's, you know, the market cap of like all crypto is $2 trillion, um, which is an unfathomably large number compared to what it was a couple of years ago, right? Um, and then, you know, maybe there's an, a chance that crypto economy gets larger in the future. And then the other thing you would have to hope is that not only does the crypto economy get larger in the future, but also the, um, the industry, like the marketplace industry, the financial services industry that you know, pops up around the crypto economy, 
that it turns out to have market dynamics where it creates um, an oligopoly. As in, um, you have multiple players, so there is competition, but each of those players are fairly large. And let's say they control something like, you know, one's 25%, another one's 15%, another one's another 15%, you know, those kind of market shares, right? Mm -hmm. And actually, like, there's that's not completely crazy, because if you look at the way um, banking is in the United States, um, it's uh, for the large center money, money center banks, it's basically an oligopoly. The big ones are JP Morgan and Bank of America and the Wells Fargo's of the world. And then there's like smaller regional things like, you know, credit unions or whatever, um, or regional banks that, you know, specialize in niche construction loans or something like that. But, but overall, like you've got these huge money center banks that each, you know, take a fairly large piece of the pie and none of them are really like way bigger or disproportionately greater than the others, right? They just compete and they're roughly all the same size. Right. Coinbase, like you would hope that, you know, that Coinbase, that the, 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 the market dynamics are oligop oligopolistic like that, that Coinbase is one of, grows up to be one of those like surviving players and is fairly large. You, you might imagine it taking something like 20% or 30% of the, the market. 30% even sounds like it's a lot, but uh, like way more than, than I think it could be. Um, and, you know, you have other players that are like roughly equally as large, like, um, like a Binance, for example, or, you know, BlockFi growing to some sort of level um, that enter the market. And then, you know, they just roughly share the, the profits in that space. That's what you would have to hope. And so anything that like where Coinbase would grow is not in market share, but in the growth of the crypto economy itself. So if uh, Coinbase has a stable market share and crypto economy grows 50% per year and Coinbase takes its proportional share of that 50% growth, um, then you can make an argument for it growing to some sort of size that would make sense. Um, but it would be dependent on your view about the crypto economy growing at 50% per year for the foreseeable future as well, yeah. which is not completely crazy, right? Like, I think the famous story about Jeff Bezos in uh, 1998 or 1999, whatever it was that he decided to leave his cush job with like, I don't know, $300,000 like signing bonus or something like that on Wall Street. And then go all in and like some sort of garage startup selling hmm. bookstores online. And his like managing director was like, you're crazy for leaving all this money on the table. And Jeff Bezos is like, I don't care. I'm going to start Amazon. Um, he was looking at a market, the internet, which was growing 200% per year. And he was like, shit, I got to get in on this. Right. And right. I think the internet's grown at some sort of like fairly high number um, in the subsequent 10 years probably around 50% per year. And then it's like probably slowed down now to like 20% per year, let's say. I think he's done okay. Yeah. So so the, 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 like the internet market itself had very, very high rates of growth. And even 20 years into it is still experiencing like fairly abnormally high rates of growth. Um, so it's not like if crypto economy has like the same kind of potential, transformative potential as the internet, like you can kind of see like a long runway for 20 years of growth where the first few years are like 100%, 100%, like 200% type growth. 
like that, that, that Bezos was seeing in the internet in like the late 1990s. And then um, followed by years of like 50% growth and then followed by years of like 20% growth and so on and so forth for like decades, for two decades, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Coinbase can ride surf that wave, even if Coinbase is not the dominant like market maker in this thing, but has a sufficiently high market share, uh, riding that wave is good enough to make some money. But you would have to have that opinion about it. Yeah, very <laughs> bullish. Where, well, what's what's your opinion then? Where where do you stand? Uh, it is um, it is challenging. Um, I I I thought a lot about the, the that question. I think that um, I'm bullish about the crypto economy. So I, I don't feel like I would um, knock it out of the park there. The second question is, would I feel like Coinbase would could, could continue to maintain um, a fairly large size market share in it? Right now it's got 11% market share. Could it grow to 20%? That one I'm not super sure about. I mean, if I were conservative, I would continue projecting 10%, let's say, market share, right, for the foreseeable future. If I were bullish, I could say something like 20, 25% market share, but I, I just feel weird saying that high of a number um, when there isn't a strong amount of competitive advantages to keep a competitor out of this style of market anyway, right, other than scale. Right. And um, that a lot of like the products and services that Coinbase is thinking about putting together, they're fungible, like like the ability to earn yield and Bitcoin, like that's going to be determined by who gives you the highest yield. Right, it's exactly. And, um, you know, lending Bitcoin is the same thing too. Um, and borrowing Bitcoin, it's just like, okay, well, if I want to borrow money based on Bitcoin as collateral, I would go with the one who gives me the cheapest interest rates too. So like Coinbase would be pressured no matter what, because the, the Bitcoin itself is fungible, like money is, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of rep competitors, like let's say a BlockFi can replicate that kind of, and already actually has that capability before Coinbase does. Um, so... So I, I feel okay with the first question, which is that I feel I, I feel pretty good about the idea that the crypto economy can grow. I don't feel super confident about like their ability to grow market share significantly. Um, and if I were going to extend that logic further, there's no one saying that they have to magically have 10% market share. Like, could we think about a, a possible world where the crypto economy grows tenfold? But um, Coinbase lowers its market share from 10% that it is today to 5% or something like 3%, right? Like, is that too crazy to imagine? Maybe it could happen. It's like, they don't have a lot of defense. And then um, I think that the next question would be, um, you know, do you feel that it is Coinbase is a better return than Bitcoin, or is Bitcoin and maybe Ethereum itself um, a better return than Coinbase? And that is also like a hard question to answer because I don't know if I could predict where the prices of Bitcoin and Ethereum will be like tomorrow, much less like 10 years from now. I'm not, I'm not sure. 15 minutes from now. Yeah. yeah. 15 no, minutes I... from now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, I did, so when I dug into the financials, 
um, I created like a kind of mental model about what I thought, like a couple of scenarios, right? Just to kind of get feel things out. And I'll give you, do you want to hear the super bullish scenario or do you want to hear the conservative <laughs> scenario? Because I've got those two. And then I've got a third one, which is like some thoughts about what it takes for them to break even. Um, but what, what do you want to hear first? I don't know, man. That sounds like a fun journey. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll follow your lead. <laughs> okay. I'll, let me start off with like the super bullish scenario because it's always fun to think about like bigger yeah. numbers. So um, in this super bullish scenario, the way I'm thinking about it is first, I start with, uh, just to make things simple for myself, the population of the United States, which is like <laughs> roughly about 330 million people. Okay. Now I know Coinbase, I think, has customers outside of the US, but I didn't want to think about that. I just wanted to think about with respect to the US population. Classic American mentality, by the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's other countries. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, I did a little background research and I asked a couple of background questions. I said, okay, it, you know, stocks have been around forever, like a hundred years, right? Or more. Mm -hmm. How many mm -hmm. Americans own stocks? Like you've had a hundred years to own it. How many of you do, do, do own it, right? And the research says that roughly 50% of Americans own stocks. And I would bet the most part of that accidentally own stocks because, you know, they right. put it into a retirement account, it gets put into an ETF, and then they got stocks or something like that. Not, like, I think only a, a small percentage of Americans actually try to like actively manage their, their portfolio and, and mm -hmm. are stupid enough to think that they could beat the market like we do. So, <laughs> uh, but basically 50% own stocks. Way to go. Let's, let's insult all of our listeners at the very beginning of your explanation. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, the, the best bet is to just buy the index fund. And um, it's a fallacy to think that you can actually beat the market by stock picking. And that's why we're actually trying to beat the market by stock picking. Yes. You're not that smart. Not smart. Yeah. You're in the wrong place. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, so, and then I said, okay, well, uh, maybe it's not like stocks. Maybe it's a little bit more like gold. How many, what percentage of Americans own gold? And it turns out to be like varying between 10 to 12%. So I said, okay, I'm just going to pretend that 10% of Americans own gold. So, I mean, if you think about crypto, like I'm just kind of thinking about it with respect to Bitcoin. So not to complicate things, but like Bitcoin is like, it's not exactly like gold. It's like a digital version of gold. And it's not exactly like a stock. It's like somewhere between. And I know like 10% of Americans own gold and 50% own stocks. And I said, because this is my super bullish analysis, I'm going to say that 60% of Americans decide to open an account, <laughs> which is yeah. way more than like 10% higher than, the, uh, than the, the stock version, right? So I said, okay, 60% of Americans happen to own, uh, happen to have gone to Coinbase and opened up an account. And what that does is, it gives me a number of like people, a number of accounts that exist on Coinbase. And um, I asked myself, okay, so like right now, like what happens to Coinbase is that what's important is like the number of active transactors. So like, it doesn't actually even really matter how many verified users or how many accounts open. What matters is like you are actively transacting in that account. And mm -hmm. the way that they call that you are, an active transactor is that you, they call it like monthly active users. So these are people who have um, done a transaction sometime in the last 28 days. And according to their last filing, 11% of their uh, total user base um, is classified as a monthly active user. So only 11% so are actually transacting. The rest 
they haven't logged into their Bitcoin to their Coinbase account in like two months, and they last bought six years ago, and they they, mm-hmm. they they don't even really do anything except store value. Yes, buy once and then transfer Bitcoin to your cold wallet, and then never touch it again, right? Or or lose it probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. or just or just keep it in that you, you just just keep it in that wallet, and then just like take it out and fondle it every once in a while. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, so 11%, and uh, I, because this is my super bullish analysis, I said, let's give it 20% monthly active users, okay? This is my super bullish analysis. Now, the next part that's important for Coinbase is the something called the, um, the average net revenue per user, which means that, like, if you are transacting, like, how much are you transacting um, per month on average? And their report in Q1 2021 that that ANRPU number is roughly $34 to $35 per month. So if you're actively transacting, you're paying them about $35 per month in fees. That annualizes to, um, if I take the $35 per month, $420 per year. Which is a, a sacred number, <laughs> like 420. <laughs> you love it. Yeah. And then... Um, and then uh, I said, okay, if right now they their annual NARPU number is 420, I'm going to 10x that. I'm going to make it 4,200. Why did I say? <laughs> I why love did your I say, mad bullish scenario. This is so fun. This is the super add, bullish why not, scenario. Why not, why not just add another zero? <laughs> this is great. 100x? No, that's too crazy. This is the super bullish scenario, <laughs> not the uber <laughs> bullish scenario. Okay? Yeah. And I mean, like, why did I say 10x? It's because, you know, like if you're a super crypto bull, you'll probably say, "Oh, it's not it's not crazy for um, Bitcoin to 10x from here." Let's say so. Uh, I'm thinking with reference to a 500,000 um, price uh, right now. If we tied x from 60,000, it would be 600,000, of course. But uh, I'm just kind of like roughly thinking from that 50,000 base to 500,000, right? So okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so 10x. And that when I did it, all that math that create that results in a prediction of annual revenues of 195 billion, which is almost like like that's that's how much revenue Apple had last year. <laughs> Apple had like 225 billion or something like that. Right? <laughs> and yeah. now, like I back out some of their expense structure, so they say that roughly 15 percent of their revenue has to go away in terms of transaction fees, like minor fees and stuff that they have to pay on behalf of the user. To move money around on the Bitcoin ledger, um, and then they are also kind of like projecting that they don't do any sales and marketing right now, which has been a benefit for them. They've just kind of mm-hmm. been relying on word of mouth, word of mouth, and relying on the strength that they are the most trusted, most famous, like easiest to use platform for noobs. But right now, they're planning, I think, on spending fifteen percent of their sales and marketing, uh, of their revenue on sales and marketing. So I think they really want to grow their user base. And the only way they think they, think they can do it is like running AOL style advertisements on the television, right? To tell people right. to about the wonders of cryptocurrency. So I'm modeling 15% sales and marketing costs there. Mm-hmm. And then they said that, you know, what they're spending on um, their R&D team, which is a fairly small number of people. And they're uh, their general and administrative expenses, you know, the people who like, you know, they deal with your problems, like, you know, in your account, they're spending um, like 1.3, 1.5 billion. So I called it 1.5 billion of expense. And that leaves me in my super bullish scenario uh, with a net income of 115 billion. 
And then uh, I put a 20x multiplier on it just because. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just because. Why not? And then I got to a ridiculous number, which was 2.3 trillion market cap. <laughs> and then in my further analysis, okay, I, yeah. I ran a 10-year CAGR from where it is today, from where it traded today. Um, yeah. Where it traded today was, you said it was like 340 or something like that? Yeah, or give or take. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Which is roughly like 90 billion market cap. So, I, you know, I, I said, okay, if 90, like, if, if, if it goes from 90 billion market cap to this 2.3 trillion market cap, and it, let's say, I pulled it out of my ass, but like, let's say it does it in 10 years. What kind of CAGR is that, right? Yeah. It turns out that's 38% CAGR. That would be which good. Is, which is pretty fucking fantastic. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Now I said, okay, in this scenario, I had stipulated that Bitcoin would go would 10x, right? From I, I think I was thinking about from 50,000 to 500,000. And I said, what is a 10x in 10 years? Cagger. Yeah. What's it's the Cagger? Cagger on Bitcoin. The Cagger is go. 26%. Yeah. So here in my super bullish scenario, um, uh, Coinbase would way outperform Bitcoin. Like thirty-eight percent CAGR versus twenty-six percent CAGR, you would the hmm. rational choice here would be to choose Coinbase, but I have a lot of aggressive assumptions in there, and yeah. part of the stuff involves like things like ten xing the, the 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 yearly revenue that you get from users. Is that likely to happen? That's the part where I'm not sure because I think margin compression and your fees compression will like hit that ten x number, right? Yes. And then the fact that like, yeah, and that's predicated upon like more um, competitors entering the market and taking away market share. And I'm modeling 60% of the US population, you know, and then 20% of the, the their user base is very active, right? Double the amount that's active right now. And I just, it's, 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 there's a lot of like super bullish assumptions in this super bullish model. So that's that. But if it were true, then you would see like a fantastic CAGR like that. Um, now, if you want to hear the conservative assumptions, I can walk you through that. <laughs> where do you where do you land on the conservative? What okay? I'm going to skip yeah. to the end. But basically, yeah. the conservative same, same logic, same lever points. But you're okay. just not if yeah. if conservative assumptions. If it, it ten year CAGR is two percent. That's uh, conservative. Yeah, that's not great. Not great, Bob. <laughs> no, that would be like two. Like your, that would be like I don't know what what earns two percent per year nowadays. I'm not sure. <laughs> not, uh, yeah, like a, like ten year treasuries. Like that would be yeah. basically like owning a ten year treasury bond. Yeah, that yields yeah. like one point six seven percent or something like that. And knowing you, I imagine you're going to want to take the median here. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then, you know, in that conservative scenario, I had modeled um, Bitcoin only doubling in price, like from right. 50 to 100,000, so let's say. And that's conservative, um, which I love. Yeah. So like, let's say Bitcoin doubles in, in price for 10, in 10 years, right? Like 10 years from now, Bitcoin will be 100,000 per Bitcoin. That, I mean, that would mean that Bitcoin would be, comp like Bitcoin's CAGR over that 10 years would be 5%, which right. is, hilariously low actually compared to the historical volatility of bitcoin which like 
grows like 100 200 400 percent per year right like yeah. like like it's or nothing per, per hour yeah yeah <laughs> like it's nothing but you know that's what i have in my conservative assumptions now in my conservative assumptions like the underlying assumptions were that um instead of 60 percent of the u.s population having an account um it's half of that 30 percent mm-hmm. um and instead of having 20 percent um of your user base being um, very active users, um, I was thinking 12%. Right now they have 11%, so it's not that much higher. Um, And then I was just thinking about their average revenue per user, um, roughly doubling from where it is right now. Like right right now we were saying, they they said in the conference call, that's about $420 per year in revenue per user. So I just doubled it and said $840 per user per year. And then when I back out similar assumptions regarding like the expenses and R&D and blah, 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 um, that left me with like a 5 billion net income. And then I get mm-hmm. a multiplier of 20 on that, which gives me roughly around like 100, it's like, because there's like rounding, it's like 110 billion. Now, 110 billion is not that different. For, uh, it's not like, it's not actually, uh, uh, it's completely crazy because like right now what it's trading at was, what did we say it was? I think it's like 90 billion. So with yeah. this like super conservative estimate, you're paying 90 billion, like like it's 90 trading at 90 billion right now. And then 10 years from now, it will be worth 110 billion, which is why it's a 2% tagger. Um, but of course, I mean, I have some like super conservative estimates in there, right? Like I'm talking about the volatility of Bitcoin going down to like 5% per year, which is nuts compared to like the historical volatility. I, I feel like if you're bullish on Bitcoin, you wouldn't expect Bitcoin to be doing a CAGR of 5% per year. Like that seems kind of like low if you're bullish in Bitcoin. But if you're bearish in Bitcoin, you might think that that's generous because like there's a lot of people out there who are like vehemently against the idea of Bitcoin and think it's worth zero. So like giving it a 5% CAGR is actually quite generous. So that's that. Mm. Um, And then... um, the I actually ran like some weird some some scenarios here where I was thinking, okay, based on their expense structure that they've that they quoted in the um, the first quarter of 2021, um, where they um, were thinking that you know for the revenue that they do, 15% is like a hard cost. It's a transaction cost for like mining fees and stuff like that, and transaction fees. That's a hard cost that they can't get rid of. There's a sales and marketing cost, which they're planning to spend 15% on of the revenues on, but that's discretionary. They could cut it to zero. And in fact, in the last few years, it's been nearly zero anyway. And then they're roughly spending or budgeting about like a billion and a half, like 1.3 billion, 1.5 billion on R&D and SG&A. Actually, the G&A portion, not the SG&A. But um, so I was thinking, okay, if like there was a, a crypto winter where there was like a Bitcoin crash and mm-hmm. like, like people decided, oh crap, Bitcoin's a scam. And I, I, I don't want to like have any Bitcoin. They sell all their Bitcoin and they, nobody wants to hear the word Bitcoin ever again, right? Or at least for a long time, like in the, like the, in the 2018 winter, right? Like that kind of time frame where there was like a crash and then people were like left the market. Um, like in a Bitcoin winter, like what would it take for Coinbase to break even? That's the kind of scenario that I was thinking in there. 
with that particular cost structure in mind, um, they need to have um, a similar number of um, monthly average users as they do today. So right now they say um, they have 6.1 monthly active users, and this is in a bull market, right? But I'm thinking in a crypto winter, if they had 6.6 .6 million monthly active users, which is just slightly higher um, than what they do today. And the average net revenue per user was $133 per year versus $420 per year that they report, which is right now happening in a bull market, right? As long as those assumptions hold true, you've got roughly 6.6 .6 million monthly active users and the average net revenue per user was 133 per year, they'd break even. So they'd have a net income of roughly zero. And then I said to myself, okay, what would it take roughly in my model, like my little shitty little model? Like what kind of like Bitcoin price would it take for me to feel like they could hit an average net revenue per user of 133 per year, right? And the answer that I got was uh, 19,000. So I think that as long as we feel confident that the price of Bitcoin would safely remain above 19,000 for the foreseeable future. I don't think that it'll be hard for Coinbase to like uh, run a loss, if that makes right. any sense. Yeah. Huh. So that's, that's so that's that's the cutoff point, 19,000 a coin. Yeah, I mean that's mm -hmm. on my shitty little calculations. I, could be completely <laughs> yeah. wrong, but like, I love yeah, your shitty yeah. calculations. Though. You're the best. <laughs> and the, the crazy thing is, it wasn't that long ago that Bitcoin was like nineteen thousand per coin, right? And, like, and people were thrilled about that. Yeah, yeah, I remember being thrilled when it hit yeah. nineteen thousand. You know, yeah. and then, uh, yeah, yeah. So, like, I think it wasn't that long ago that like Coinbase was, you know, running um, a loss. And um, there was an epic run in Bitcoin going from 19,000 to, let's say, 60,000, right? Yeah. I mean, they're really basing this valuation on the last year, which is not indicative of future years. That's what I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah. This is the best time to IPO because you've just had the mother of all crypto bull runs. Yeah. And, you know, there's no sign right now of the, the crypto bull run, like slowing down in the future. But past history has said that, you know, you can't rule out a slowdown because it's happened before. Right. Right. I just right. don't know when it'll happen. OK, I don't know. And um, but if it did happen, you would want well, based on their current cost structure, um, Bitcoin to remain above a 19,000 you know, price. Um, right. Otherwise, you're going to have problems. Yeah, you might have some problems. Well, but, and the problems might just be like, oh, they'll do another capital raise and dilute you and that, um, and so that they can survive the crypto winter, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and, that, and, and then the also, the and also um, they might, I haven't looked at their cash reserves. So even if 19,000 and below were to be hit and they were trying to go through a crypto winter, they might just by virtue of having done like capital raises in the past and having like a monster first quarter have enough cash in their balance sheet to like survive the burn through a long crypto winter and make it out the other side too. So mm -hmm. even the, like the fact that they're like breaking even in 19,000 price doesn't mean that they're going to go bankrupt. 
it could mean that like they could actually survive for like 10 years based on the cash of the balance sheet, just breaking even, depending on what their cash burn is, right? Right. And um, <clears throat> and then survive to to get to the next bull run. And um, so like that, uh, you know, like that's just kind of like a data point that you, that you can keep in mind that I, 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 I can keep in mind, you know, just when I'm really thinking about like what the risks are um, for mm -hmm. that. All right, so um, I think that was pretty much everything that I wanted to um, to say here. Um, and I love your back of the envelope, and I think that's 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 the right way to 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 think about um, that inflection point again. The, the beginning of what we were talking about: why not just buy Bitcoin? Um, and I guess if you think it's going to stay, it, it, ironically, the better you think Bitcoin is going to do, uh, the more you should buy Coinbase over Bitcoin, right? Right. Isn't that kind of isn't that kind of how that worked out? Yeah, because if you see huge amounts of adoption and that it you're going to see more transactions, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, like it, it, Coinbase will do better than Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about Ethereum though. So like that's a harder like mm -hmm. it's a derivative on a derivative question, but. But yeah, yeah, because I've become more bullish on Ethereum since our conversation began. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Would you would you end up buying it today? At um, well, I have to disclose. Um, I, I took a very small amount. I kind of just watching the day trading, uh, which I don't do and do not advocate because I don't. I, God knows that's a that's gambling. Um, but I, you know, I'm watching the stock during the day and, you know, I just wanted to kind of take a little piece. And I felt that, you know, the valuations I had seen pre, uh, pre going live, I, mean, I saw some, there's a German ETF that kind of um, approximates the value based on pre-share sales from employees and kind of had it over 400. I was expecting it to land somewhere between 400 and 500 during the day. Uh, again, just perfect timing and being super hot. And like every other stock, again, just people who want, to your point, there's way more people in stocks than in Bitcoin. And if you want to play in crypto economy, this is literally the only way to do it right now. So mm -hmm. I like it. I like it as like, you know, another hot stock, a la all the ones we've covered, really. Uh, and so, you know, I think for for very short term, it, it's appealing. I also think it could do really well, you know, today, tomorrow, uh, or whatever, the next day, like, very, very short term, I think it has a lot of curb appeal. Um, but to your point, and the more we've spoken about it, once I really dug into the S1, which I was doing all day today, I couldn't get through it over the weekend. But, um, you know, I kept I kept filing through it today, I got into more of the risks, I was looking into the details about, um, you know, how they're seeing other competition and how much they're spending on, um, you know, just just their, their cost margins uh, for everything that they're doing. And as they grow, I, I just became less and less and less confident over the course of the day. So, you know, I have a small amount, like just a nominal amount um, to play with today. But I, I think, you know, like I, I'm, I'm trading that like I would like I would trade, you know, NFT basketball cards. Right. Like, I, you know, I'm not I'm not thinking that this is a long term kind of value stock. Uh, I do think it's too easily disintermediated, either directly via smart contracts or indirectly from competition. There's no moat. Um, I love the toll booth concept in general. That that's a Buffett classic. But mm -hmm. they're not the only toll booth, right? And and they won't be. I don't see yeah. a world where they're the only one. So it doesn't really fit that definition when you dig in a little bit deeper. And and your back of the envelope there is 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 probably about right. Like the the middle case scenario 
uh, of the extremes you just presented, you, you might just be better off owning Bitcoin, right? Like Bitcoin could drop to, to 10,000 and then go back up to 30,000. And you know, right? like just the volatility here is crazy. The S1 talks about volatility 50 different times, right? So they're expecting some volatility. They timed this absolutely perfectly, right? Oh, like yeah. you couldn't you couldn't do this better. It's it's perfect. I mean, this yeah. is an all-time high on basically Q1, every coin. Their Q1, I read it and I was like, Mwah, that's a thing yeah. of beauty. I cannot yeah. believe these numbers. They're amazing. Amazing, amazing numbers. And and you can you can get a lot of people very excited with numbers like that. Um, especially in a new, a new in a whole new ecosystem. Right. Like yeah. the, the crypto economy is brand new. Who knows what the future holds to your point? Uh, internet. Right. Like it, it just the, the possibilities are pretty broad. So I get the appeal. I get why it's exciting. And, and to be honest, at least in the, in the near term, I like being a part of that. I like to play that game. If you ask me how this compares to any other stock we've covered, um, I don't see a long play here in the same way. This is not a stock. If you told me, are you comfortable owning this company five years from now, seven years from now? I'd probably say no, where I would say, where I'd be more likely to say yes for pretty much anything else we looked at. So short-term fun to play around with. Long-term, I'm not a buy uh, on, on Coinbase, despite the fact that I love their app and I've used it for many, many years. And I think it's the best in market. Um, I just, again, the, the margin compression, difficulty in, in retaining customers and the, the competition on, on rates and pricing. They've just got so many hurdles to overcome. Uh, and maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe there's going to be some integration they're able to do or a partner they onboard. They've made a couple of acquisitions, but nothing you know, uniquely interesting. Maybe there's something there that I'm just not seeing and it'll change my mind. And they are in the best position to do that. But to your point, like they weren't, you know, why is, why is BlockFi offering, you know, lending rates when, when Coinbase isn't yet? Like something, it's not that easy to innovate. They don't have the flywheel they're, they're talking about yet. Yeah, yeah. And they might, they might be plodding along because they really want to be um, super safe. So they're not trying to be the fastest with building products, but they just want to be ultra secure. So mm -hmm. BlockFi, I know, like is super focused on being able to give you yield on your cryptocurrency um, and also allow you to like, you know, get loans on your cryptocurrency. That's the only thing they, I mean, they do the buy and sells too, but like the main focus is that, that type of yield. Right. And so, like BlockFi might have been able to get there a little faster because that was like literally the only thing that they're focused on. And then, um, you know, Coinbase is trying to like onboard 90 different cryptocurrencies and build out a super safe infrastructure. And so they, they're like plodding along, right? Because they don't want to, they don't ever want to lose the reputation of not being safe. Whereas some of these faster moving companies can focus on like one angle of the thing and then just hammer away at that and like make a lot more progress on that like one little thing, right? Mm -hmm. So that's 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 one thing, um, and I think they'll eventually get there. But even once they get there, um, with you know having a borrow and lend feature, it's still going to always be dependent on like what kind of yields you offer. It's not one of those things that's essential, like like a like a brand name competitive note type thing. Um, so I think I, I I do agree with you with your assessment in there that like right now I I don't think I I feel strongly enough compelled. To, to about where it is in a in its competitive position in the market, to feel like this is a like a super strong buy, and I could be completely wrong because like my bullish scenario shows like a thirty eight percent CAGR, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just basically saying, ah, I know my spreadsheet says that, but I'm not sure it'll get there. So, 
So that kind of lack of faith, like sometimes the, the market really punishes you for, for mm-hmm. not having that faith. Um, but I, I don't, I'm not there yet. And the reason why is because I just don't see a world where like finances, like financial things, like can be not competitive. Like, like literally I don't care who, like who, who it is I'm getting the yield from. I just want the highest yield. And I don't care who I'm borrowing from. I just want like the lowest interest rate. Like, like that's how mm-hmm. it works. And like, there's no, uh, like the, the, the banking system is an oligopoly. Yeah, but it's like, nobody's in a dominant market share. Like the way the 60% so super bullish, like market share that I, I've got, like would, would, would hammer out to be. So I, I don't feel like you could even get to that kind of like CAGR that I'm, I'm awesome CAGR that I'm looking at. Um, <laughs> One thing that you did mention when you were talking that reminded me of something I wanted to say was that, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to keep Coinbase in my watch list. I'll probably like hop in and listen on their um, conference calls every quarter, or, you know, every two quarters or so. But one thing I did notice in their last quarterly um, earnings discussion was that Brian Armstrong, who's the CEO of Coinbase, mentioned that they had completed an acquisition. You had mentioned an acquisition, and that's what reminded me of it. Mm-hmm. One of their um, recent acquisitions was um, um, a company called Bison Trails, which is a weird name. Mm-hmm. And he said, and I'm trying to remember the exact quote from Brian Armstrong. He said something about how like the Bison Trails acquisition is going to allow them to do something similar for the cryptocurrency market that Amazon did with their AWS product. And now anytime somebody mentions Amazon AWS, my money-making signals, like my feelers, like pick up a little bit. Did you say Amazon? Did you say AWS? <laughs> that thing was a fucking gold mine. You know, you can't right. just, you just, you can't just throw words around like that in a conference call and like, <laughs> and like, and you know, you, you, you got to really have something there. Okay. Don't just, you know, don't tease me like that. Right. And I looked at it and, um, like I, there's a lot of like technical jargon into the company, but I, so maybe I'm not fully understanding everything. But what what I do understand about it is that I think what it does is it um, it it is a company that is specialized on allowing other companies to offer uh, blockchains and um, staking blockchains to their customers. Mm. And I'm like, so I guess I could kind of see why he would call it the AWS of cryptocurrency. We know that AWS is kind of like the enabling infrastructure that allows, you know, cloud-based companies um, to offer services to their customers, right? And um, this Bison Trails, if it truly is what it is, is kind of like, it's analogous because it'll allow companies to offer um, crypto style services to their customers. Now, like my mind boggles at what the possible applications could be for something like this, right? Just like if Jeff Bezos and I had dinner in 2010 and he sat down and said, Gil, I'm going to let you know, we're building something called Amazon Web Services. And it's all about like cloud infrastructure. I'd be like, Jeff Bezos, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but tell me more. (laughs) And then so like, I, I think that like it, it's hard for me to imagine that like one day, you know, let's say something like an Uber would be built on top of Amazon web infrastructure, right? Like that kind of stuff would be enabled by it. 
And sitting here today, I don't even know what could be enabled by something like bison trails. But I mean, like just the initial thought of it is like, I don't know, like Walmart offering some sort of like crypto to its customers. I don't know, something like that. Um, so uh, the possibilities are kind of endless. Um, yeah. We, we, yeah, no, I think that's that's fair. And again, we're, we're trying so hard to predict a, a, a new world order, a new economy, a new, you know, new currencies, new models. Like I'm trying to tie to things we know, but that that can be the death knell for things. Internet being one of them. Right. Like when you have a new unknown, it's it's very hard to know, <laughs> very hard to predict. So, yeah, I, I think that's cool. I have to look into that. I didn't I didn't read about that yet. So for me, my my thinking about this is that I don't I don't feel super confident about buying into it right now. Um, and I think what I want to do, what I do want to see is see um, how Bison Trails, you know, it gets integrated into the company and then how it actually begins to develop. Because, you know, I mean, technically, like Amazon would have done okay just doing web retail, but it's really AWS, the optionality created by the op AWS that supercharged everything and changed everything for Amazon, right? Um, and I think if Bison Trails does get traction and becomes part of the fundamental like development infrastructure of the crypto economy, that could be way bigger than anything else Coinbase is doing right now, like way, way bigger than anything they're doing right now. Yeah, that is, that's interesting. For that sure. is the like the one thing that I would hang my hat on and like could change my mind about buying into it. But it's early stages because I think they just acquired it and I don't actually know what they're going to do with it. And I don't even know if there's like a product market like user fit type type stuff there too. Could be a complete fizzle. So we shall have to see. But I think I would like to just set a little reminder for myself to just keep checking in every quarter or so, um, seeing how that develops. And then I think if it does get traction, that would probably be like the right time to buy for me. Because How would you know if the bison trails piece of it is generating traction? What, what does that even look like? See, that's hard. Like in the, um, the 2010 timeframe when you know, Amazon introduced AWS, um, Amazon um, hid the AWS revenues um, inside another operating division and nobody knew how much it was growing, even though it was growing exponentially. Like it just like just was like muddled in the rest of the business. That's why nobody understood how big and important it was for so long. It just looked like, I don't know, like book selling was suddenly growing bigger and bigger. <laughs> That's the way the structure, financial structure was. And there was a sea change in the way Amazon was valued once Amazon decided that AWS was big enough to break it out in its own separate financial structure and disclose so you, it. Yeah, so you're saying it's gonna be, we're just gonna have to do real we, digging. Yeah, you're gonna have to do real digging into it, probably like channel checks or like talk to actual customers or stuff like that. And then, I don't know, mm. like keep track mm. of the, uh, the fine, you keep track of the finances um, like on a quarter by quarter basis until you see something strange, basically, right? I like it. Because they might, they might fold it into some division where it's very, very hard to see see what's going on into it. So but, we I may mean, have to do a, 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 a revisit this one a little bit down the, down the road and see what's going on. But Yeah, yeah. That's the thing that like is the most exciting for me, actually. And it's actually the smallest and most remote and most venture style business 
<laughs> it's like I'm betting on a shadow of nothing right now. Like that's what that's what that would be. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I like it. it's interesting. Well, yeah, look, this is a, this is a crazy one, man. I don't know. Today was a wild ride. We'll see. Uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on it. I, I think maybe worth talking about again. I, I have to look into this uh, that acquisition. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't really read up on it enough. I guess I didn't see those parallels. Dig into it. Let me know what you see because I do find it to be the one of the most interesting and intriguing parts of Coinbase. But it is the one that we I, I know the least about. Yeah. So interesting. I would like to see. Cool, that. man. Definitely right. will. This was this was a delight as usual. I I appreciate the uh, the Gilmore education. I feel smarter. <laughs> it was a good conversation. So if you ever want to uh, digitize and tokenize your back of the envelope calculation on the bullish scenario, I would, I would buy it. <laughs> you would buy it. The token yeah, buy version. That. That's yeah. actually like creating value out of nothing. Like I said, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. I would buy Ethereum. You're, yeah. Turns out you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Later, Gilmore. Good night. Yeah. Bye.